we may get more into this, but it's a, a fundamental part of who I am and what I enjoy doing is like orienting people and making sure that they don't have as bad a time at whatever I did as I did, right? Like uh, whether it's like, when I moved to Austin, it was really lonely and sad and I didn't have a lot of folks in support. And so now when people move to Austin, I try and help them. So there's that like onboarding experience that even in my design career, I've been like really, really passionate about, about how do you go from knowing nothing about a thing to really feeling comfortable and connected and like you have what you need. Um, it also helps that I, I host a lot of parties, like, like just like nice dinner parties and stuff like that. And it's all about like hosting. How do you make people feel comfortable in the world? You are listening to the High Growth Founders Podcast, where we give you unfiltered truth and ideas about accelerating the growth of your startup and becoming the founder you were born to be. No fluff, no games, just straight to business. I'm your host, Casey Jones. Through my career as a coach, consultant, advisor, and mentor, I've worked with hundreds of founders on their go-to-market strategy, building an authentic personal brand, and growing as a leader. You are here for one thing, growth. And this show is dedicated to helping founders accelerate growth, period. We will dive into not only the best strategies that are working today, but discuss the biggest mistakes and failures that industry leaders have made in the past so you don't have to. So kick back, relax, and let's get into the show. You are not going to want to miss this next interview. I interview Roman Gonzalez, uh, the founder of Gardenio, which is a ridiculously cool concept and idea. Um, was totally went down the rabbit hole of this business that he's building, um, the content they're creating, the movement that they are starting. Um, but he's also just an absolutely fascinating human. Um, we touch on the idea of being philosophers in life. He tells an absolute roller coaster story of how they got into tech stars. So you do not want to miss that because it's you, you laugh, you cry. <laughs> um, it's quite action packed and a really just amazing story. And we talk a lot about what it's like being a BIPOC founder, um, the, the struggle and some of the sort of cognitive dissonance of knowing that the system was not necessarily created for you. And so we have a really open, transparent conversation. Um, you will love his energy. You will love the advice that he shares and his number one resource that he recommends to founders is one that is near and dear to my heart. Um, so you don't want to miss that at the end. So give a listen, learn about Roman, learn about his story and definitely be prepared to learn a lot in this one. Okay, I am so incredibly excited, Roman, to talk to you. I've already said before we had recorded that I've really gone down the rabbit hole and kind of like stalked you and your company's Instagram page. So I'm already like a little bit of a fangirl. So Roman, just to kick things off, tell us a little bit about who, what you do, and your ridiculously cool business. Yeah, uh, my name is uh, Roman or Roman Gonzalez. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Gardenio. And Gardenio is a new kind of digital garden club membership. Uh, you become a member, you have access to our app, and that connects you to localized information based on where you are. Like, hey, uh, you know, it's going to freeze next week, bring your plants inside, but leave your kale outside, it'll get sweeter. That's stuff that would be hard to know. Um, digital tools to help identify and address issues in the garden. Good bug, bad bug, what do I do? Oh, use this orange oil kind of thing. And then um, because gardening is inherently social and emotional, it's uh, connecting you to other gardeners in your area as well, uh, not just for support, but for celebration. And we like to say with Gardenio, you don't have to grow it alone. I love that. And it's funny, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a, a little bit more in a minute, but it's funny the way you just described it. What it really reminds me of, honestly, is like the founder journey, because it's lonely. It's complicated. You're not always sure how to get started. There's lots of information there and you're not really sure what's relevant for you. And having a resource to help guide you is incredibly helpful and incredibly needed. And that's why also for those of you that are listening and not watching the video, you can't see 
the tech stars uh, hoodie that I'm looking at here. <laughs> the accelerator that isn't before. I'm, I'm double acceleratory. Double acceleratory. And right. And so it's almost like, I feel like you are almost like the home gardening accelerator, except instead of it being 12 weeks, it's for the rest of your life. I love that. I think you just raised a million dollars for us in that moment right there. That was, you know, that was not bad. Um, I get excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I like it because, uh, we may get more into this, but it's a, a fundamental part of who I am and what I enjoy doing is like orienting people and making sure that they don't have as bad a time at whatever I did as I did. Right. Like, uh, whether it's like, you know, when I moved to, uh, when I moved to Austin, it was really lonely and sad and I didn't have a lot of yeah. folks in support. And so now when people move to Austin, I try and help them. So there's that like onboarding experience that even in my design career, I've been like really, really mm. passionate about, about how do you go from knowing nothing about a thing to really feeling comfortable and connected and like you have what you need. Um, it also helps that I, I host a lot of parties, like, like just like nice dinner parties and stuff like that. And it's all about like hosting. How do you make people feel comfortable in the world? So oh, I love this. And I do think there's a different, it's a different sort of kind of personality of you learn so that you can teach. Yeah. I'm obviously super passionate about that. And I think it's, it's clear that that's your just natural instinct. Yeah. Um, which I think is, is. I'm biased, but I think is a is a very special and, and powerful way to approach life. Thank you. That's very nice to hear. I needed that today. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, initially, actually, I wanted to be a philosophy professor. Mm. Um, so I was really interested in the big questions of the world. Like, why are we here? How do we spend our time? Like, what matters more than that? Um, I couldn't really think of anything that did. And um, as I learned about things, I wanted to be able to distill those ideas, which are really dense Right. And be like, oh, these are actually really approachable and important and fundamental to what it means to be alive. And uh, so I've always had the kind of professorial ambition about me anyway. And uh, the idea is now I just uh, teach people still about what it means to be alive, I think, just via plants. Yeah. Um, Well, it's I'll have to tag you in the tweet that I made yesterday because literally I was thinking about this. I was I realized that my favorite people are the philosophers Mm. are the people that in every situation, they're not just looking at sort of how to do a thing or the action, but also the deeper understanding. Yeah. And I've realized that the people I connect to the most and the people that I feel most comfortable around are the people that just naturally have that introspection and that self-reflection. Because when I'm around people that don't have it, I sometimes feel strange that I am all that I do that, you know, I, I feel a little bit like a fish out of water. And so when I connect with other people that are as philosophical about things that other people would sort of, I don't know, give you a side eye about being philosophical about like the founder journey or gardening or whatever it is. I just, those are my people. And I sense an instant connection with that energy. Yeah, high key agree. Um, a, a sort of note on that for me too is that like I'll I'll, I'll act out like if I, if I'm not met with that energy, like I'll like I'll just <laughs> like I'll like uh, just like push things and I'm just like why is nobody talking about this? And and so it, like I, I get a weird strange energy would be the way to talk about it. And then it's it can also be interesting too in the founder circles in um just in VC and finance. Uh, you'll meet those folks every here and there, but uh. By and large, um, not everybody thinks that way, yeah. and so so it can be easy to feel like a fish out of water. Nice to meet a, a spiritual kin in you in your brain, and it sounds like I need to hang out with your friends too. Seriously, um, yeah, I'm really bummed I don't live in Austin, so I can't go to your dinner parties because, like, damn it, damn it. Um, okay, so thinking about kind of the philosophical side of the founder journey. It's really, if I really kind of break it down, that is kind of what this podcast is all about is how do we understand um, what, what sets us on the path that we, that we're on and what I've learned from the many conversations I've had and kind of where we, we tend to start these conversations for this podcast is, you know, what is that thing? What is that? And uh, there's a lot of things, (laughs) but there's often one or two that really jump out, but what are some of those those hard experiences that ultimately lead to these really powerful and often transformative lessons learned or or realizations 
kind of created. What is something that you've been through that probably sucked in the moment, but now you look back on it and you're like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but damn, I'm really glad it happened because it led to some really powerful growth and, and opportunity and promise and progress for me and maybe your business also. My founder journey and I think and a lot of other folks, um, sometimes you go through these really difficult times and the thing you learn is really positive and helps you grow. And sometimes the thing you learn just kind of bums you out. Yeah. Um, I'm going to focus, I'm going to focus on a positive thing today. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I know that, you know, I've been working on, on Gardenio in some way since like fall of 2017. Like that was the, I'd had the idea for maybe a couple of years at that time as I tried to start to grow my own food because I got interested and I had no idea where to start. Right. I tried to grow my own food. I went to the garden center and like bought 13 plants randomly. And it was like some plant sale that were just trying to get some stuff out that was even out of season. And um, I took it all home and like a month later, everything was dead. Right. And so. So I'm not the only one that that happens to. That was just like most people, like a high majority of people. Um, and so, so that, that, that happened to me. And, you know, I, I didn't grow up knowing how to grow my own food. I like, I didn't, I didn't live on a farm. I don't wear a lot of flannel. You know, it's just not, that wasn't my story. So I was like, oh man, I really want to do something about this. And I was a user experience designer at the time, early in my career. Now I've been in it like eight years, but I was like, uh, you know, this seems, seems like a really fragmented kind of space, right? Like you go, you have to go into the garden center. You have to, you know, ask people all these questions. You just have to kind of hope that they know what they're talking about. Remember it all, come home, write it down on a sheet of paper. And, um, and there's just like so much to, even now, you know, years, years and later in Facebook groups, you still see people posting out their big spreadsheets of their plants and, and, and how to take care of them. And I'm just like, we're still here. So that, that frustration kind of got me to say, well, I think that if we view this as a design problem, how do we onboard people into the garden space that we can really do some meaningful good here, right? Not just solve my little problem, but solve it for everybody, which has been sort of a trend in my life as well. Earlier in my life, I, um, when I went to college, I, I wanted to uh, make movies. And what I ended up doing is creating an organization that helped everybody make movies, right? So it was this sort of, I'm really not that content working on my own stuff and more like how do I systemically affect and uh, enhance the experience of others. And so I've come to own that about myself. And so, uh, so I was like, okay, well, how do we do this as a design problem? Well, okay, let's, uh, you know, there's getting started, there's getting all this stuff, and then what do I do with it? And so that kind of got us into uh, an accelerator in fall 2017 called Div Inc. for women and people of color founders. Um, that's the shirt I'm wearing under the Techstar shirt. That was an incredible program, kind of kicked me off on my entrepreneurial career, even though I'd been in tech for a while. So we've been working on it since, since that fall. The following year, I, you know, still had a full-time job, was working on some stuff on the side uh, for Gardenio, starting to figure out how do we get plans to people? And uh, that was that was kind of where we started, right? Like, how do we just get the plans to people and figure it out from there? And we made a lot of mistakes. Uh, we did a lot of stuff that wasn't scalable and it was fun. And ultimately, uh, just kind of kind of flirted with it um, over 2018 and through 2019. We finally got a, a technical co-founder uh, at the time and um, came on, started building out the app. And uh, in 2020. We were like, okay, we really have to, because at the time we were like, we don't have a lot of money. Like, we don't have hardly any money, right? Like, we and this kind of ends up being a tale of funding. You know, we took out a six thousand dollar credit card from Chase in 2018 when we incorporated the company, and we're like, hopefully, we can make six thousand dollars back in a year, right? So uh, we ended up being fine in that regard, but uh, but yeah, we were like, we really have to, you know, instead of waiting on more funding or or, or going out to fundraise. Um, we just have to put a product out there, right? Yeah. And that's going to make everything move forward. And, you know, we don't have the money to do these things at scale. So what we're going to do is we're going to like, we're going to get cardboard boxes. We're going to screen print our own design. We're going to hand screen print the boxes. I'm going to take the spare room that we have uh, in my in my house with like three other roommates. And I'm going to put racks in there. I'm going to organize. I'm going to, you know, get the bags, put soil in by hand. And so we're doing every, every single little bit you know, by hand. And it's really challenging um, as a physical goods business to do that, especially when at the time it was me and a technical co-founder who lived a little outside of town. So luckily we had like over a hundred folks over the years 
um, contribute their time, volunteer. They like what we're doing. They like why we're doing it, how we're doing it. So in 2020, we launched what would be kind of our most successful project, which was our membership offering, which was like we would send you soil mulch containers and, uh, and care guides uh, like once every three months. First season, you'd get three plants and kind of small containers. Every three months after, you'd get another plant. And we did that for about a year and a half. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're learning, we're building, it's challenging, we don't have money, but we're making it work. Uh, we get our first few investors and it's really exciting. And in, in 2020, uh, we were like, let's, let's, launch, let's launch our uh, memberships in spring of 2020. And so it's like, we're just about <laughs> to, to launch. And of course, COVID hits. Uh, and we were about to do a fundraise and it kind of put things on pause. But it ended up being a little bit of a, a boon for the gardening industry. Yeah. You know, everybody started getting into gardening. So, okay, we're learning, we're iterating, teams coming in and out. And by this point, it's, it's 2021. We have an operations director who's now managing operations uh, for me, still out of my house. Uh, and we're growing organically, but really not as fast as we would like to, right? It's expensive wow. in direct consumer to reach the audiences you're trying to reach, um, especially when for, you know, one, the first season of membership was like $75 retail and 35 after that. You know, we're asking people to spend some money to kind of get bought in. So, and we found that we're, you know, continually just, you know, the runway was getting lower and lower and lower. So I guess it's uh, maybe early summer, late spring of 2021, just last year. And we're starting to have some conversations internally of like, hey, listen, the app is moving forward and that's good. We built some really cool operations technology to make sure that people don't get the same plant, that we can, we can judge by their preferences, that they told us what plant they should get, that we have an inventory. Like we, we built a pretty actually cool, sophisticated system for being that early. Um, but we were like, um, the thing we keep hearing is, you know, people love the boxes. They love the plants. They love the experience. Um, we had good retention rates, uh, but we're not able to grow as fast as we want because we don't have that capital. And when we look at the fundraising scene and went on and had conversations, a lot of people, especially tech investors, are scared of um, high inventory businesses. Yeah. Right. And so we were like, OK, well, then how, then how do other people make it work? And so we got to talk to you know, founders of, uh, of Plated, of um, their early team of Blue, Blue Apron, uh, you know, Literati, Everly Well, like we, uh, we got to talk to all sorts of teams who, who'd done this before. And a lot of what we ended up understanding, and this is not specific to those companies, but like of a trend we saw over about 20 companies we talked to that were successful, is that a lot of times those early checks came from, you know, friends and family, people they knew, you know, people they built trust with and earned that trust with over time. Um, or through their tech jobs at Google, things like this. And, uh, and that's fine. It, that just wasn't our reality. Yeah. Right. And, and that isn't the reality for a lot of uh, specifically, you know, black, indigenous, POC, Latinx uh, founders, also female founders. And so it just wasn't our reality. And so we sort of said, okay, well, we can kind of keep complaining that the early direct-to-consumer market just isn't there for fundraising or we can think about how we can do this differently, yeah. right? And even though we, we felt we had like we, we had something good going on, we we're like, well, what we do know is that when we talk to these customers and they, and they like the product, um, they are saying that they want to see more from the app. You know, we get that consistently, right? We have this kind of basic app. So what should we start, you know, should we just focus just on the app and like lower costs and things like that? And we were like, well, let's start thinking about that. So at this point, it's summer. Um, I communicate to the team. We're all having this conversation. And uh, it's becoming clear that we are running out of money faster than we thought. And we had, over that summer, applied to several kind of like big ticket opportunities for funding. Um, there was a 100K grant competition, uh, or 100K pitch competition. And uh, I was like, oh man, that's amazing. We got picked for like the top five out of, I don't know, something like over 100 companies. And I was like, oh man, we pitch really well. Like this is, we got this in that bag. And uh, we, we pitched and we didn't win. And which was a big identity thing for me too. I was like, oh my God, I thought I was good at pitching. Um, but I, but we didn't get that. I was like, oh man, well, you know, we're applying to Techstars. We're applying to Techstars, Farm to Fork in Minneapolis. And you know, that's, that's gonna be it. And you know, we got far and we got to the top 20. And then we, you know, we were in the big room interviewing with everybody. And you know, a couple weeks later they get back and they say like, hey, we love your company. We wanna help you how we can. You're just out of the top 10. Mm. 
And that would that you know that'd been like 120k in funding, and we we're just like, oh man. So that was like a big hit to everybody because you got to remember, like we've been working on this now, you know, two years and change for some people. For me, it's still been like about three years, and it's hard to keep morale when there's you know not that funding coming in, right? And especially when you get so close, so close. And that I think I've had a lot of conversations, especially in the last couple of weeks, because we're in like application to accelerator time yeah. where it's, it's almost harder. I think when you make it to the top five, but not the one that wins or make it to the finals, but you don't get in, there's something where it just feels so you get your hopes up with each round that you get in yeah. and then you don't get it. And it's, it, I think it's more devastating than if you knew from the beginning, like, no, nope, we didn't really have a chance at this, like moving on. It's true. So kind of like the heartbreaks just kind of keep coming. And then we're like, okay, we have one more shot, right? We're going to apply, you know, we're going to apply and we're doing really well in the process with Techstar Sustainability in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. And we like that team. We like their vibe. Again, we get to the top 20. And we get, and we have like several conversations. They're taking a while. And then they get back to us and they're like, hey, so we really love your application. Um, you're just out of the top 10. And I was like, what? You must be making some kind of mistake. Because again, this is, at this point, this is all we have left. We, we have like very little money in the bank. I, and uh, taking a little context around this too, that's meaningful that like, I personally was running out of money. Like I had spent most of my money on the company. I had, you know, dissolved my savings. Um, I, I luckily, I didn't take out any big personal debt um, just cause I just, I don't believe that's a good idea, but you know, I had like 80 bucks in my savings and I remember going out with my, my girlfriend to get coffee this is in August and I didn't like, I couldn't pay my rent the next month. Mm. I didn't know what I was going to, there was a couple side contracts that were like, kind of, maybe they're going to happen, but, um, I hadn't, I didn't know what I was going to do. And we went, we, I was out with my girlfriend and we got coffee and, I bought coffee and I, we went to the back of the coffee place and I like I was just crying because I I didn't think that I could afford a cup of coffee. It was just the lowest I'd been. And you and you think you know I, I went to Brown University and you know I was thirty two and you know you worked so hard for so long you know and I've never been a big partier. Like I've always just worked so hard since I was a kid, you know, and, and you know, everybody's out, else is out. I'm just like staying up late, writing organizational documents kind of stuff. And, and you just look at your friends who are just like, oh, they, you know, started and exited this big company that everybody knows, or, you know, they got this funding or they're this and that. And it's, it's a, it's a bad thing to compare yourself to your college classmates categorically. But, um, just being, think, thinking about like, what do I have to show for it? Right. And, that was a real thing. You know, I'm getting older and I've, I've been, um, I, I know I'm only 32, but like I'm um, getting a little older and, you know, I've been with my partner a while. I'm starting to think about this stuff and just like, man, we can't go on vacation. And so it's just a really, one of the lowest moments of the last decade. And I've, I've, I've been dead broke before. I've been in the red before when I was like 21 for like a year and a half. Right. Like, um, and so it just to set the stage for getting this rejection. Um, I was scared you know? And so when they said, no, I, I, you know, I got back, I got every one of my contacts who knew them to email them and say like, Hey, I really advocate for them. I advocate for them. We're lucky to have a bunch of friends who do. Um, and, uh, they were like, we're sorry. You know, I made it hard on them too. So it's like a couple, they're like, well, you know, if anything happens, we'll let you know. Uh, you know, if somebody drops out or something and they're like, that rarely happens, but sometimes it does. And so it's, and a couple weeks later, me and Chelsea, my co-founder at the time, uh, you know, we're just bummed out. We're just bummed out. And, you know, she's taking a week off. And that Monday, she's like, hey, I'm running away to the woods. <laughs> you won't be able to contact me for four days. Just, uh, you know, even if Techstars gets back, just tell them I don't even want it. And because uh, what you said, it was like, it was just so heartbreaking, yeah. you know. So anyway, she leaves. I get an email that morning. Hey, Roman, can you jump on a, on the phone? And there's like three hours later, I'm on the phone and they're like, so uh, we'd like to offer you a position and text our sustainability. And I'm just like, you assholes. 
you assholes. And it's like, I'm at the lowest point I've been in. And all of a sudden, I mean, then that meant 120K in funding. That meant we're going to Boulder, Colorado, learning from these amazing mentors and in the field of sustainability, having the camaraderie that we did through that program. And it was the big lesson for me was just, I don't know, the number one thing was just like, fuck your feelings. Um, but, <laughs> but beyond that, it, it's just that like these things, it's just like comic, it's comically absurd the way something like that happens, like the day after kind of the lowest moment. And then it kind of comes in and I feel so grateful. I feel so lucky. You know, this, this whole journey teaches you to be reflective and grateful for every inch you get, for every dollar you have, for every kind word somebody says. Yeah. Um, when, when you really do truly are trying to build a, a, a huge dream on so little, um, like in so many systemic odds, not to mention the, the already, you know, certainly non-negligible and, and formidable actual odds of starting any kind of business right yeah and and so yeah i feel like the the thing that that, that taught me was just to i don't know the, the, this this whole thing is 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 crazy you know i'm lucky that we're still going and uh i'm going to continue to take big risks because that's what we do yeah but uh but it's you know there, there was an article i read years ago that was just like if you don't stop you can't die mm. and I do think that there's something to be said for knowing when to stop as a founder um, on your company. But for me, I'm a mission-based founder. I am on an existential mission to help people grow their own food because I think it's one of the most important things we can do in this world. I think so much good spiritually, practically can come from it. Um, and I'm not a spiritual person. So for me to say that is weird, but that's where I've gotten yeah. um, because of the gardening. So you, you can't kill that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So and, and anyway, that that's, that's my story of the big thing that happened. <laughs> it's a that is a good story and a a both heartbreaking and and wonderful one. Yeah. So. So okay. So I'm really curious. You said something at the beginning of all of this. You know that that this idea of kind of helping others, teaching others, has just been who you are. Yeah for as long as you can remember. Do you have any clue where that comes from? That's a great question. Um, I kind of wish I could say like, oh, my father was a teacher and I come from a line of teachers. Um, not necessarily that. I don't know. It, it can get to a very vulnerable place. So I'm going to try, I'll, I'll keep my, my cool. But, um, you know, I, most people who grow up have, you know, every human being on the world has been through uh, a great deal of trauma yep. um, in one way or another. It's just what it means to be alive. And in those experiences, people can react different ways to them. Um, I've always been a philosophical brain, like we've talked about. And so I was always trying to think about when I go through something hard, what can I learn from it? How do I actually learn from this experience? Because it's kind of what they told you to do, learn from your experiences. So I, I took that in earnest. Um, I was a little bit of a goody two shoes kid. And so I was just like, yes, you know, I'll just, I'll do what you, what you say. And so the thing, I, because I was always trying to learn from it, when I saw other people having a hard time, there was just this natural impulse to want to want to help them. Like, why would you not? Yeah. Um, if, if I can, if I had, if I experienced pain and I can stop you from experiencing pain, uh, not anything, some, some pain is good to do whatever builds character or whatnot. But like, I, if I can help ease that for somebody, I just, that, yeah, it's almost like a way in which my brain doesn't register why, why you wouldn't if you could. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. It's, um, and it's not true for everybody, but I think a lot of us, and especially those of us that maybe are maybe a little bit more in touch with our trauma. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think a lot of us have this feeling of you want to pay it forward, right? And and either helping people avoid going through those experiences or helping them come out of it just a little bit faster. Because yeah. we know that when you don't have that help and that support and that guidance, dude, you can you can stay stuck there for a while. But it's interesting when I've talked to a lot of people about this, the thing that they feel most passionate about is often the thing that they didn't have. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So they figure out how to do it for themselves and then want to do it want to help others do it because they know what it's like to not have that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll talk about what I'm trying to do with Gardenia too is, you know, I, again, I'm 
philosophy guy like I'll attend it to what it means to be like to be alive and and uh, what kinds of values we, we could and should hold um, in the world. And, and I feel like so much of the energy we try and bring with the brand, too, is being very inclusive mm-hmm. and um, is, you know, I know what it's like to feel like to, to be made to feel like the things about you are wrong or weird. Right. We talked about this kind of in the beginning of the call mm-hmm. of just like these things that are that are beautiful about people. They're often chastised by people who don't know themselves or, you know, don't have similar kinds of convictions. All these reasons why we're made to feel alien and weird. And I really want to bring that feeling of like belonging and connection. We talk about um, what we do is making people more confident and connected in the garden. Yeah. And uh, it's not, we're going to help you grow the biggest tomato ever, right? Uh, that's like car salesmanship. I, I don't, we're going to help you grow tomatoes. Yes. But like, um, it's really about, it's a human project of making humans more confident in the garden and connected to each other and to nature and to themselves. And, and so there's just something about that like fundamental human integrity. And so many people are made to feel so awful um, for being who they are. And uh, yeah, that's this kind of underlying project of, I think we can bring kind of that integrity and confidence and, and connection and kinship to people. Um, the more we have them put their hands on the ground. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very beautiful because it's, how do you truly get back to, I mean, the most fundamental basics in existence, right? Putting your hands in the ground, growing your own food, and using that as a mechanism for connecting. And I think, you know, and I 100% understand why COVID threw you guys for a little bit of a loop there, um, as it did everybody. But if there's one upside to this really bonkers experience we've all been through in the last two years, it is this chance for so many of us to reflect on what what really matters and yeah. start to be more intentional about those decisions. And so I'm curious, have you seen that impact um, the way people are connecting with what you're doing and with one another in um, through this whole experience? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think because there are just so many people, mathematically people are in so many different ways, right? Like you have people who are really trying to hold on to what they learned about themselves and their reflections through lockdown and COVID. And, and then you have people who are now sort of saying like, okay, that was good. Let's build a metaverse. Um, and let's get away from all of this stuff and, and create artificial scarcity in the form of JPEGs. I mean, I'm, I'm letting a little loose on some of my thoughts and ideas there. I don't know how you feel about them, but um, it, yeah. So some people are really ready to move on and get away from those things and, kind of avoid in my mind what are some really practical meaningful realities of the world it's sort of like no matter how far you get into the digital world climate change is still happening and it's coming after us and and it does not care about us or like us very much and i i really want to continue to stay and this is just to brand stay rooted um in kind of what's happening in the real world i'll say too that you know when we talk about what we do like yes obviously people have the problem of how do i start to grow food and we're going to help them with that. But the thing that resonates more deeply with people is when we tend to talk a little bit more about why we do what we do. And I think that the reflections people have done through COVID is what kind of allows them, has allowed them for themselves and to other people to really connect to some of the things we talk about as for like the kind of company we're trying to build and how we're trying to build it. So I definitely think it's created even more of that openness and vulnerability and people you know, searching for things like this to um, to either reconnect or, or stay connected to things that they got connected to in nature over over lockdown. So definitely an attitude shift for for some, and we're we're really indexing on that and you know trying to meet more people like that. Yeah, no, I think that's very powerful, and I'm also curious. You know, you've talked a little bit about this concept of um, inclusivity, and um, and you've also you know mentioned the the what it's like to kind of feel like the the weird one or the outsider or the other um, for various um, reasons throughout your life. I'm, I'm really curious if you, if you could expand a little bit on how that, how that informs your view of yourself and your experience as a founder, because I think it's, you know, and you mentioned this when it comes to the whole, the whole concept of friends and family rounds, which is just like laughable. So for so many yeah, yeah. founders, and yet it's 
probably most founders, and yet that is not the the dominant um, uh, way of looking at it. So, so tell me a little bit about like how was it like going through that and realizing that the 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 common sort of rules just don't apply, and yeah. how do you, how do you deal with all of that? Yeah, I mean, you, you feel like you're on crazy pills, right? Like, <laughs> there's, because uh, you go into the world and, I mean, you sort of said it, it, that's not the case for most founders. And unfortunately, what happens is that uh, for the people for whom that it is the case that they are founders, mm-hmm. let's see if I can make the sentence make sense. Um, it is typically the case because they had some early access to network and capital. So it's like a disproportionate amount of founders. It does work for them. Yeah. And that's why they are founders because the, the system served them. Disproportionate amount of the successful founders, but not exactly the founders that actually try. And that's one of the, one of the issues with the whole startup world, I think. Yeah, a hundred percent. So it's uh, there's, I, I've given talks on this um, a bunch, but it, it the, the system itself is structured in a way that doesn't serve anybody to invest in early stage BIPOC founders. Um, and and I, I, the, the brief of why that is, other than just a big claim, is that um, at seed stage, uh, I'm going to assume that everybody who's listening knows about pre-seed stage, seed stage, is series ABC. Um, so when you're talking to actual like venture capitalists, these big firms that have a bunch of money, they're going to write checks to you. Um, they uh, want a certain level of traction, your sales, um, typically in revenue or some kinds of partnerships or things like this. And so, well, what do you need to get sales and partnerships, et cetera? Well, uh, you, typically you'll need to spend money on acquiring customers, right? A good deal of money oftentimes, or, um, you know, maybe if you're B2B, you have some network to be able to get access to the right people to get those partnerships. Okay, cool. Um, so what do you need to get those things? <laughs> you need access and you need money. That, so where do you get that? The seed stage investors oftentimes will sort of be like, you know, knock a hundred doors or whatever, you know, just, uh, <laughs> it sounds like the whole, like, oh, just go into a place and ask for a job. Just like we did in 1962. Um, bring your printed resume. Wait, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, so, so then at the pre-seed stage, sort of like, okay, well you raise a pre-seed round. So you get the traction to get to a seed round. Okay, well, where do we get that pre-seed money? Okay, friends and family. Okay, we know that grandma doesn't have much more than a $20 bill she can give me once a year on Christmas. Um, and, you know, that dude, we don't really have that uncle. Okay, so we can go talk to early stage angel investors. Let's say we start talking to them. Because when you talk to VCs and you're raising a pre-seed round, typically, that's changing a little bit, typically not the right people to talk to. So pre-seed, they're sort of like, all right, these are, these are they're called angel investors because they're, they're angels, you know, like to, to write a 10K check, 25K check, 50K check for an early stage founder it, it is a bold thing to do. It's incredibly risky, right? In fact, it kind of just fundamentally doesn't make sense in terms of sound investment. And then if you're, and if you're writing a check to a, a female founder, a founder of color, um, where 2% of venture capital goes to uh, black and brown founders in total, um, I think it's 7% or 5%, depending on the number, goes to female founders. Um, female founders of color, uh, like less than half a percent. Uh, so it's sort of like, what confidence should you have that they'll be able to go raise the following round, right? Pretty low. Yeah. And, and so then you find that the companies that you talk to that are run by um, founders of color, sometimes they just won't have the traction necessary. Yeah. And it's like, well, because you didn't get the money. Well, why didn't you get money? Yada, yada, yada. So there's sort of, there's this gap at the pre-seed stage for that first 100K 250, 500K, um, up to a million, uh, where there's just no institutional players at that stage. Yeah. And while there are beginning to be more, um, there lots of them are like B2B tech or just tech only. They're not there for a direct consumer. So anyway, that's a little of, <laughs> that's my aside spiel on why the system is kind of um, fucked that way. Yeah. And so at, as you enter it and as you go through it, um, you sort of know that these are the dynamics, but you have to, you have to run the game anyway, right? Yeah. And, and that, then that's the weird cacophonous part that you know you're in a system that is not set up for you to fail or that is not set up for you to succeed necessarily. Um, but you have, to, you have to believe in your own exceptionalism yeah. or, and just drive forward anyway. And so it feels like Sisyphusian, right? It feels like, you know, 
like, are we, you know, I'm a part of this accelerator dip income on the board now. Um, I've seen so many of those companies uh, shut down because they couldn't raise money. And those are some of the best founders I know. So you just kind of, you, you look around and you see your, your fellow soldiers, you know, fallen, um, not to use that comparison too lightly. And you just have to sort of take a deep breath, do what you have to do and just keep going anyway. Cause some people make it right. And then they say like, Hey, look, they made it. One guy over here made it. So, I mean, I don't mean to be too doomsday about it, but it, there is the, because again, people do make it and we're convinced we will, and that we're doing the work to get there. Um, on a company level and a network level, but it's, uh, yeah, I think that's part of the experience that we don't often talk about. Um, and to even talk about it in some circles, uh, oh, you're making excuses. Yeah. You know, you're, um, oh, you're, 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 you're causing a ruffle, yeah. right? We don't like. Or you're, or you're hedging. Cause sometimes it's you recognizing that there's this, this added challenge and people look at like, it's almost like you making excuses for your failure before your failure happens. And it's, um, and it is interesting, right? It's I, I'm one of the things I've noticed, particularly with very successful founders, mm-hmm. a lot of them have this like absurd level of optimism where you're like, yeah. like they see the, the glass is not half full. The glass is like overflowing yeah. even when it is, only at that halfway mark. Like they are sort of over the top about it. And it can be really challenging when you do see, to your point, that the 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 system was not built for you necessarily to be successful, but you have to believe in that success. So I'm I'm curious, what do you do? Like other than just kind of wake up every morning and say, okay, I'm gonna keep doing it, like what is the thing that you do that helps you stay? motivated and stay committed even when things are pretty uh grueling yeah i've been thinking i've been thinking about this a lot lately and i have two ideas um one is i'm actually thinking of like putting some signs above my desk which is just like stay positive like stay kind like you know just you try and meditate and do yoga you run you know there's all the sort of basics that we know are good for our soul and our mental health and whatnot yeah and so assuming that those are covered and that you're doing your best to do those and i'm only so so on them then it's, I came up with this idea yesterday. I was like, I want to be a part of like some like meditation revolutionary group that's just called fuck your feelings. Um, and it is any time that I get upset about something that maybe happened in a meeting or I'm facing the systems that, um, that it, it, again, do not necessarily serve or built for, people from my communities, um, that I get reminded, this isn't about me. Like what I'm doing, like, yes, there's, I have my personal goals here of financial independence and I want to, um, it's a creative project and, uh, for me ultimately and that, and that that's meaningful, but, uh, it's not about me. It's about mission and who I'm trying to serve. And, and so I just talking to somebody about this, uh, that, I, I very much believe, and I try and teach earlier founders that just like the courage, like you just need a tremendous amount of courage to get up every day and to continue to try to do something because you believe it needs to be done in the world. And there's like the courage to serve. And that for me is so much more powerful when I remember that I'm doing this for other people and for other reasons than it is about my feelings on a particular day. And it doesn't solve everything. Doesn't mean you can't be angry. Doesn't mean you can't be annoyed or mad or whatever. You, you feel all those things. But it's it just I'm 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 thinking about this to kind of recenter myself and remember that we're doing this not just for our companies and our independent wealth, like a lot of people are. Yeah. But for the communities that we represent and want to serve, to be able to acquire the wealth to reinvest that into the communities that have been underserved. And there's too much riding on the line for me to worry about some person's dumb tweet. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, um, I love everything you just said because one, it's super powerful, but it's also, I get pretty nerdy about the, the, the neurological side of mindset and all the rest. And it's, it's, it's literally proven that like your brain changes when you have a sense of purpose. Yeah. And 
purpose makes you um, calmer. It makes you less stressed, but it also makes you more resilient. It is like neurologically, you are more likely to be able to stay in it and stay motivated when you have that purpose that is greater than yourself. And I think one of the things that I think a a lot is... um, is it is a disadvantage in the startup community is we we focus a lot on these these hard goals and metrics like mm-hmm. talking about how we want money and these other things but that's a that's a means to an end that's not the end <laughs> and having that bigger and deeper sense of purpose and 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 goal is i mean a hundred times more motivating I, I agree. And the interesting thing too is uh, me being in the space and it's, again, it sounds like you relate to the idea of being able to pull back and being like, what's this for? Right. Uh-huh. Um, when you're, when you feel that way and everybody else is so focused on the, the immediate thing in front of them, um, it can be easy to feel just like out of tune, but um, kind of rest on that conviction that you know that uh, you're, you're viewing the world in a, in a, in a generous, thoughtful way. So just holding to that conviction and knowing, knowing what you know is good about yourself um, and 10 years of therapy, taught me what's good about myself. So, yeah. Oh, that's my, that's my number one, uh, recommendation for all humans, but especially founders, lots and lots and lots and lots of therapy. And by learning about ourselves, we are so much more empathetic with others because you start to see people going through something and you're like, Oh wait, I remember that feeling. Yeah. You know, And, (laughs) and, and you know how to, you know how to empathize with where they are. Um, okay. This is, this has been an amazing conversation, Roman. I know that there's going to be a bunch of people listening that want to learn more about what you're doing and want to geek out the way that I am totally going to um, join uh, Gardenio and sign up. And so where can they find out more? How do they, how do they join this movement that you are building? Yeah, totally. And uh, kind of almost want to apologize. I, I feel like I ended up talking about a lot of feelings and I, and I hope that's okay. Oh, um, uh, don't worry. I've said too much. No, that, that- <laughs> That's more my goal than things like talking about, I don't know, marketing or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yes, no, um, don't apologize for that. That said, if anybody wants to hear more feelings, they can go to growgardenio.com. Um, so we're, we're re-releasing the app in a few weeks, and we're going to do it uh, a couple tranches at a time. It's invite only right now because we want to maintain the quality, the vibe, the culture, make sure it um, stays the way uh, that is good for people. And so if you go to growgardenio.com, you can sign up for the wait list and you'll get an email and uh, you'll get an email soon after whenever we release it to to, to your little mini club within the garden club. And uh, you can also follow us at growgardenio Growgardenio on Instagram. We do a bunch of silly videos there too. Uh, They're great. They're really great videos. Um, And I think you really get a sense of the vibe and the brand um, uh, through the Instagram. Like it's, it's very, you immediately feel like you're, I don't know, part of a, part of a friend circle, not, uh, following a company, you know, it's, it's, you've done yeah. a great job. You've done I a great you job. Saying, I appreciate yeah. you saying that. One, one last thing I'll say on that too yeah. is, is that, uh, was somebody said something recently, which was about like, uh, you know, you can measure your, uh, your impact by the effect you have on the people around you. So it's always my goal for anybody if they're around me for them to feel like a friend. So that means a lot. Thank you for saying that. I love that. You do, you do a great job of it, truly. Um, okay. So we always end, um, uh, every show with three quick questions. Okay. So first one, what's one thing that makes you grateful to be a founder? Oh, uh, other than that, I am a founder. I mean, that I get to work every day on helping people grow food and that I get to look out my window, um, and look at the garden and how it's growing and for it to remind me to be patient. Uh, I'm so grateful that I just get to do this. That's wonderful. Okay. Um, what's one resource? Maybe it's a book, maybe it's a video, maybe it's a who knows what, but something that you have consumed that you're like, oh my God, all founders should read this, watch this, experience this. What, what's, a, what's, a, what's something you wind up recommending all the time? Yeah. Uh, I'm, this is going to sound like cheating therapy. <laughs> well, I mean, there's like your, your basic, like read Eric Reese's lean startup stuff. Um, but I, I really, truly believe the more that we can, uh, n- learn about ourselves and how to communicate with ourselves and the people close to us and in intimate, uh, relationships that the better we can be to people on our team. And that, re- that resonates far more than any marketing, you know, structure or framework ever will. Kindred spirits. 
Kindred spirits, real talk. Um, okay, and last question. If you could go back in time and give your pre-founder self some advice or some words of wisdom, what would you say to 2017? Yeah. Almost about to start it, Roman. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. I, I feel like that's something I should have thought about before. Um, maybe uh, it's going to be as hard as you think it is, and that's okay. But remember to just continue to remember to be grateful every day. And oh, I like to think that hopefully I, I've listened to that advice. But uh, yeah, it's just the, the, the thing that I think is most lasting is to remember the attitudes one has to have as one goes through the journey. And just like gardening is not about the destination and the end of the fruit, but you do it for the process. And just to continue to remember that. Um, yeah. Ah, oh, thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. I'm so excited to uh, know you and to keep the conversation going. So thank you for this. Yeah, thank you so much. You take care. I hope you enjoyed that episode on the High Growth Founders Podcast. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show of whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from. And look, much like this show, I love getting into the good, the bad, and everything in between. So please feel free to express yourself in the reviews of the show. And consider subscribing to the High Growth Founders newsletter by going to highgrowthfounders.substack.com. You'll get the show delivered to your inbox every single week, plus stories, insights, and actionable tips from my work helping founders accelerate their growth and from my own journey, accelerating my own. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we are here to learn from one another. So please, if the episode made you think of a founder who is leveling up in their business, take a screenshot and share it with them. Okay, that's all I've got. In love and growth, I am out of here. See you next time.